This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times, and I'm your host, Joyce Teo. So I've invited Professor Wee Eng Yong from the Duke NUS Medical School to answer some of the questions that you may have. Prof Wee is the school's principal investigator in the partnership with Archerist Therapeutics to develop a COVID-19 vaccine. Hi Eng Yong, welcome to Health Check. Hi Joyce, thanks. Thanks for the invitation. So let's talk about vaccine safety today. So the rush to approve uh, COVID vaccines right, have made many people, including doctors, hesitant about taking it. So I guess there's no guarantee there won't be side effects that may surface years later. Maybe can you help allay our fears? Hmm. So first of all, um, I, you know, the, I just want to say that the vaccine, uh, although it's uh, you know done in record time and, and unprecedented and all that, uh, it's done because of the way we've um, aligned all the studies. It's not because we have cut corners. So uh, all the studies that need to be done have been done, including going from you know small animals to to big animals to make sure that you know all the toxicology everything is safe before we get got into clinical trials. And even clinical trials went through all the phases. Right? Um, the the how it, the the timeline, which normally takes you know years, was crunched down to you know, less than uh, eleven months. Was not because of removal of studies, but rather how the studies were uh, sequenced. So, for instance, in the past, we would have done studies A, then follow after you finish A, you do study B, after B, you do C, and all that, right? So one after another. And the reason is because you you don't want to commit to all the financial cost upfront. Right? You, you make sure one is successful before you, you commit to the next round of uh, study and, and all the costs associated with it. But in this case, because of the urgency, we do A, B, C, D, E all at the same time uh, if it can be, can be, if one does not depend on the other. Um, and, and therefore, the, the, the risk actually is in the cost to the company. Because if anyone's not success, successful, you would have committed to all these costs and it would have led nowhere, right? Um, so the, the real uh, risk was actually in the financial part, not in the safety. Now, having said that, then what are the side effects associated with these vaccines? These are, from the clinical trials, we know they're very common side effects. For instance, uh, you know, the pain at the injection site, you can get a bit of fever, you can get a bit of body ache and all that. And these symptoms, like fever, body ache and all that, are, are essentially uh, symptoms of your immune response. So every time you get a flu-like illness, you get this funny metallic taste in your mouth. It's not because of the virus, it's because of the immune system. And the immune system communicates, you know, one cell communicates with another cell through chemicals. And that's what you're tasting in your mouth, the chemicals secreted by these immune cells, right? So these side effects then are quite common uh, because that's what the vaccine is supposed to elicit, the, the the immune response. So you can we can expect these side effects. What about the long-term side effects? The long-term side effects are something that was coined up in, in this study some years ago in, in that was published, but has since been retracted and completely uh, refuted. The, the reason is because the vaccine actually stays in the body for a very, very short time. And we know that because the, the immune response to a vaccine can never be as good as natural infection. And the, in a natural infection, say, for example, dengue, the virus stays in our body for about a week, if not slightly more than that, but not beyond that. 
right? Unless you have the immunocompromised uh, condition and all that. But usually it doesn't last for more than a week. But even then, that immunity to that viral infection will give you lifelong immunity. But to a vaccine, it barely lasts, you know, several years. And then you have to keep giving a vaccine a booster shot to, to keep the immunity levels up. So, so therefore, for a vaccine, it, 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 the way it's designed and all that, it can never replicate fully the properties of a natural infection. So in terms of the duration of how, it, how long the vaccine will last in the body, it's very, very brief. These are long-term uh, uh, side effects associated with the vaccine. There can be long-term issues with the immunity, but you would get that with a natural infection anyway. The common ones are common, and then the rare ones are rare, and 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 usually these come up, you know, one in a million, one in a hundred thousand kind of cases. Uh, one of the more severe side effects or serious side effect is the uh, anaphylaxis. So this is this is an allergic reaction. Now, I know a lot of people encounter allergy in the form of a rash, itch, and all that. This one is where your eyes, your lips swell, and your airway uh, becomes swollen. It gets blocked, so you can't breathe properly. Uh, or your blood pressure plunges, and then you go into shock. Uh, those are serious uh, uh, allergic reactions. Although serious, it actually can be treated almost instantly. So all you need to do is give a dose of adrenaline, our EpiPen uh, is it, a common one that these people carry around so that if they do encounter allergy, they just jab themselves with the EpiPen uh, and that will completely resolve the situation uh, quite dramatically. After vaccination, the doctor or the nurse, the healthcare center, will need to keep you there for 30 minutes because all this reaction will happen within minutes. Right? So in, in, the, in the rollout of the vaccine in the U.S., I mean, they've seen that if, if it does happen, it happens in the first 15 minutes. Beyond that, it's, it's gone. Right, but the government here, they're starting this vaccine injury financial assistance program, even though they said there may not be a need for it. But, you know, the fact that they start this makes some people worried that there might be effects that they don't know of. No, this is actually goes with all vaccines, right? I mean, if in like, for instance, I mean, if, you know, we, we can... Uh, um, if you take Panadol, now some people will react to Panadol either in the form of a, a, an allergic reaction or a rash or others. They, and these can be very rare events, right? But there will be insurance coverage or be ways of looking after you in the event that these things happen. And so the, the, you know, the indemnity, whatever that is, is part and parcel of a, a big uh, rapid rollout. It is basically just to make sure that, you know, all the, in the event that these rare events happen, there's a way of dealing with it. Right, of compensating and all that. It's not because, oh, it's it's unsafe. That's why we need to have all these uh, unusual um, indemnity and all. So if you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the Health Chat podcast for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to our conversation on COVID-19 vaccine safety with Professor Wee Eng Yong from the Duke NUS Medical School. Um, can you tell us, you know, what's the difference between the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines? And then also you're co-developing a type of mRNA vaccine yeah. with the US firm. So yeah, can you tell us how this is different from the mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna? Sure. So th- th- there's actually very little difference between Pfizer and Moderna. Though, uh, I mean, the, the, of course, the proprietary, they, they do modify the RNA in a little bit to make that last slightly longer. 
uh, or not trigger so much immune response and the packaging, the lipid nanoparticle may be slightly different in the chemical composition. That's why the storage conditions are slightly different. But by and large, uh, it's very similar. They're targeting the same spike gene uh, of the, of the um, SARS coronavirus 2. Uh, and, and that's what they, we want the immune system to remember, to recognize and remember. Uh, the one that we are developing has a slight modification, and, but it's, so it's a self-replicating RNA vaccine. So what you, what you put in will expand in terms of the numbers, the copy numbers of the RNA inside the body. And then, you know, the, the gene will then, the spike gene will then encode for the spike protein. Spike protein will then be, be shown to the immune system and then trigger the immune response. So the idea of introducing RNA into the body is actually not new. It's been happening for thousands of years. The reason we know that it is safe is because viruses like dengue, like chikungunya, um, like uh, German measles, rubella, like polio, uh, common cold uh, virus like, uh, that, that we encounter year after year, they all have RNA genomes. Yeah? And their RNA is mRNA. In, in a function. Okay. So, and so our bodies have been exposed to RNA constantly again and again for as long as we've been, we've been alive, right? What is important to add is that at, we, and we've also, you know, since um, availability of um, uh, sequencing, high, high throughput sequencing technologies, we have sequenced hundreds and thousands of, of a human genome. At no point have we been able to find a dengue gene or a polio gene or a common cold gene in our genome. In other words, the RNA does not convert and become DNA, right? There's a very specific occasion when that happens, and it can only be done by the HIV group of viruses, right? So, so there they can convert the RNA back into DNA, and DNA gets into our system. But it needs a very special, or it needs two very special uh, genes. One called the reverse transcriptase, the other one called integrase. Without either of these genes, the, the virus is dead. It cannot con convert to become DNA, right? And then get into our genome. None of the RNA vaccines contain either reverse transcriptase or integrase. In other words, it's not going to become DNA and get into our genome. We can, we are very, very confident of that. The RNA will somehow become DNA and then change our genome is simply not true. The third one that um, um, Singapore government has had a, a pre-purchase agreement with is a Sinovac. Now, a pre-purchase agreement doesn't mean that Singapore has already bought the vaccine. It means that if the vaccine becomes licensed, then Singapore is way ahead in the queue to get hold of the vaccine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, it, so we, we don't know the uh, phase three trial results yet. This has not been released. Uh, and I, I'm sure that you know, uh, until that phase three trial uh, uh, data, as well as a full package of all the safety trials and all that that has been done, uh, until those uh, data has been reviewed by the by HSA and other regulatory authorities, then the vaccine uh, will not be available for our use, even if we right. want to buy. Wait, but how different is that? So that one is a it's basically a killed virus. So you take the, <clears throat> the SARS coronavirus two. Uh, and then you chemically you kill the virus so that it cannot replicate. Then you 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 show the you you use that as a vaccine. Now there, there is a there, there are pros and cons. The the drawback of the inactivated vaccine is that 
it actually only triggers one arm of the immune response, mostly to make antibodies. It doesn't make so much killer cells. And I suspect the killer cells are very important. So you want a balanced response. The killer cells, basically antibodies, you think about it, it's like, you know, it's trying to block the virus from using its key to unlock our door, to get into our body. Okay. Whereas the killer cells peer inside the cell. So look inside the room and see whether there's a, someone already inside, a thief inside your house. So one is trying to prevent the thief from getting to your house. The, the other one looks inside the house and see whether it's, it's already been broken into. Okay. Uh, and so the, the T cells, the, the, um, they can only be generated if the vaccine gets inside the cell and is made inside the cell. Because that's what it's training itself to do, to look inside. The, the kill vi- virus is dead. It cannot get into the cell. And so the RNA vaccines are, in that sense, superior to the inactivated virus? I, I think so. I think anything that is made inside the cell, then you have a chance of developing both antibodies as well as a killer cell response. Right. So, you know, some people are worried, you know, I know you mentioned the DNA part, but some people are still worried about, you know, getting foreign material injected into their bodies. Yeah. There are all kinds of, like, conspiracy theories around, like, can you share with us the ingredients of the mRNA vaccine? And what yeah, it's very simple, actually. It's just an RNA and then uh, encoded by lipid nanoparticle. Because RNA is very, very unstable. If you, if, if you, um, you know, if you inject, inject just RNA, our body will destroy it before it can get inside the cell. So you need to kind of uh, coat it with lipid nanoparticle to protect it a little bit. Uh, and the lipid nanoparticle will then be taken up by the cell. It will disrupt and the RNA will then get into the cell. Uh, and, and, you know, the half-life of RNA is, is short because that's how we regulate uh, our own genes, right? Um, the DNA becomes RNA and then the RNA makes the protein, but the RNA half-life has to be short so that we can now you know, when we want more, we can make more. When we want less, we can stop making. So how short was the half-life that you mentioned? It can be, it goes anywhere from minutes to hours. You know, there is no uh, specific um, half-life to RNA. It, it depends on the, you know, the length of the RNA. It depends on uh, how, how it interacts with other proteins. So other proteins may bind the RNA, either stabilize it or destroy it. So it, there's a, quite a number of different... Um, factors it's in the region of minutes to hours right, right. That, that's very short actually mm-hmm. <laughs> contrary to what people think right of days and weeks and months so um Aeon, can you share with us the benefits of being vaccinated you know apart from saving the world right like do those who are vaccinated for example still need to be quarantined i think initially you know the um because of the coverage um uh, uh, of the vaccine in our population um Probably, you know, even those who are vaccinated will probably still need to wear masks. Will, will, you know, if they travel, um, will still have to be screened and, and undergo the SHN and all that. Um, but I, I, I think this will relax over time, right? It, it's just that as we roll out, there are a few things that we don't know. I think one of the big things we don't know at the moment is whether the vaccine can stop infection or, or transmission. What I mean by that is this, that in the, the way the clinical trials have been done, after they, they compared those who got vaccinated versus those who got placebo by determining how many cases of COVID there are in the vaccine arm versus the placebo arm. And that's how the 95% efficacy was calculated. 
Now, the, uh, the, what we don't know is that to what extent did infection occur in the vaccinated arm versus the placebo arm? That, that's very difficult to measure, right? Uh, so, so we can, it's much easier to count cases than to measure uh, extent of infection because that you require lab tests, you need to go and take samples and all that. In, in a trial of 40 over 1,000 people, that's really logistically uh, very difficult to do. Um, so it could well be that even though you're protected against disease, you could still be infected and therefore transmit the virus. The role of vaccine is primarily to protect against disease, not to, not to protect against infection. Um, and even if you can be infected, if, you do not, if you're not coughing and sneezing, then you're not going to transmit the virus as much as, uh, as someone who's symptomatic. So I think overall, uh, the vaccination will eventually you know, reduce COVID cases and reduce transmission. But until all that data is available, it's hard for the government or public health to say, oh, once you're vaccinated, if you can flash your vaccine card, good, you're, you're back to normal. And, uh, and others who are not vaccinated, well, you live a different life. It's going to be very difficult to, to, to monitor all that. You know, as the pro- proportion of our population who are vaccinated grow, then over time, all that can be relaxed. So, Inyo, finally, wanted to ask you, what's the difference between taking a vaccine that's, say, 95% effective and one that's 70% effective? What does that mean? Yeah. So, obviously, the higher the efficacy, uh, the, the, the more protection you're going to get from the vaccine. Then you use a very interesting word, uh, vaccine effectiveness, uh, whereas the clinical trials have shown vaccine efficacy. So, that's a difference between the two. Vaccine efficacy basically means that if you get two doses, then here's the level of protection you can expect compared to someone who's not vaccinated. But what's the proportion of people who will complete those two doses? What about, you know, can we be sure that the clinics and all that, every single clinic will, will thaw the vaccine in the same way, will store it in the same way? Um, you know, it, uh, that may be okay in Singapore, but in a larger global population where you know, cold chain and all that may be more challenging, uh, then there may be a drop in the potency of the vaccine. So vaccine effectiveness then is the real world outcome. Vaccine efficacy is very controlled. It's only in a clinical trial. So for instance, if someone is very adver- averse to pain and then they find that the first dose gave them a lot of pain, they may not want to come back for the second dose. So all that has to be taken into account in vaccine effectiveness. It may turn out that although one vaccine has higher efficacy, it may the, the lower the, the vaccine with the lower efficacy may have better effectiveness because the public is more willing to take it, or that is easier to store, or that's easier to administer. So a lot of other things come into play. Uh, it shouldn't worry because if if the vaccine isn't going to work. HSA would not let it through, would not license it. If it's not licensed, it cannot be used, even if we have pre-purchased the vaccine. Right. But just looking at, you know, like efficacy rate, right? Just, you know, without considering the actual effectiveness, like if it's a 95%, it means it prevents me from becoming sick 95% of the time. Compared to being unvaccinated, then your chances of protection is going to be 95% better than if you're not vaccinated. Thanks for the insights, Yong. That was a fantastic discussion. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Joyce. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. Don't forget to subscribe to us for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Search for Straits Times Health Check, like us and give us a ring. 
That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.